Buongiorno, Tim. Hello, C. C, Ryan. Hello, C, everyone. We can't see right now. Welcome to episode 140 of your absolutely favoritest of all time podcast show, Dismembering Horror. The podcast show, indeed, where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslin, we dismember a horror film every single week. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy. Isn't that right, oh, Sixto? what a creepy door opening sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, again, we're, we're here to be your, your buddies, as you are our buddies. This is all in the spirit of not saying we are right or wrong, but everyone has their feelings when watching a movie, and it's fun to dissect them to reinforce how we all feel about something, whether we disagree or not. And we also approach it from a filmmaking standpoint, Tim and I are filmmakers with filmmaker brains, and we like to, well, we think talking about what worked and what didn't work for us is a way to help ingest and imbue any lessons therein from horror films. We'll do our best. As we can only do. (laughs) For this and for everything. And thanks for being here this week for our return to the giallo subgenre of horror. <laughs> and I say it like that because this is, you know, we, we've done a handful of giallo films now um, and Dario Argento's films, which uh, we're doing today from 1982. We're doing Tenebre. Don't know how you say that, but we do know how to say giallo. And I'd like to remind you and everyone why we say it like that, Tim, because of a pronunciation, official pronunciation mm-hmm. that we found. Where like, you know, I was even just watching a review of this film where someone said gallo, then they kind of slipped into giallo. Like, it's easy to just, one of those words you just don't know how to say, so you just kind of roll over it. But yeah, like, here. Like a, like a gyro sandwich or a hero sandwich <laughs> yeah. or a hero or a gyro or a... So here from uh, December 2013 from the YouTube channel Italian Pronunciation. Here we go. Nice reminder for everyone here. <laughs> Giallo. <laughs> wow. Giallo. Is he drunk? <laughs> He's drunk. Giallo. Giallo. <laughs> <laughs> so in our show when we refer to these films which we often do that's why we say it as we do because we strive to be correct Giallo. Giallo. as many names as we've butchered we, oh my God. we like to do our best the worst just as tim says so yes giallo giallo film tenebre is the i think name it's of the tenebre film. Tenebrae. I feel like they say it in the film, and I was like, oh, that's different than right. we've been saying it, Which but whatever. means darkness. <laughs> Pretty cool. Anyway, Scary. Tim, uh, anything else on that or what our show is? Anything horror adjacent? <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> anything um, horror adjacent you'd like to share or can nah. watch the trailer? Nah. Let's just get into it. 
Great. All right, here we go. As I said, from 1982, the trailer for Dario Argento's Tene. Wait, how do you say it? Tenebre. <laughs> I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? If someone is killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and interview the president of Smith & Wesson? Peter, Peter, you can't let me down now. We're within two days of making a deal. Please, stay just until Friday. My life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Not anxiety or fear, but freedom. You wrote those words, page 46. Freedom to strike again, Peter. Listen, don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter. Well, I glanced up at your face there, Tim, during uh, when we hit about minute two of that three-minute trailer when I thought mm-hmm. it was maybe wrapping up. And boy, everyone listening, if you could have seen it, I was like, they should put <laughs> put a picture of Tim's face there. In the dictionary for unamused. <laughs> <laughs> unamused, unimpressed, <laughs> over it. Anyway, by uh, so disappointed. Right. As we kind of already said, but just to say again, the credits directed by Dario Argento, written by Dario Argento as well, and produced by his bro Claudio Tenebre, Tenebre, Tenebre. There we go. <laughs> uh, I just... <laughs> it's got so many problems. Well, well, I'm excited to, to talk about all that, Tim. Especially since we, uh, we appreciate you being here if this is like one of your... Well, of course, no matter what, but especially if this is one of your favorite films. This was up there for people, like even just kind of looking at it again. Really? Yeah, you know, I get why. I mean, we were just kind of trying to add all the major giallos that we hadn't seen. And this one, you know, I was just looking at a review from someone that's like, oh, this is his masterpiece. This is like, this is the ultimate. It combines all the best elements of the giallo genre. Genre. (laughs) Uh, But then to your Tim and I, we always... Okay, let's... Don't get it. Where are we coming from right now? So I, I got to say, like, to kind of review the Giallo films that we have watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, opera, I did love and, yes. like, would be excited to watch that again. Phenomenon, I'm, I, like, the best parts <laughs> have risen to the top for me, but I know it's longer than, you know, I would have wanted. But, like, its weirdness definitely yeah. would make me watch it again at some point in life not anytime okay. soon <laughs> but i did have enough fun memories from the idiosyncrasies that you know that uh i do appreciate this and the thing is i really really appreciate this this genre overall in the films for what is so unique about them just like take a still from them take you know just think mm-hmm, of the styles mm-hmm. the, the music yes. like i get why they're why people love them. You, they're 
They, it's not, you know, you don't you have they influence other work, but there's nothing quite like them. And for anything like that, I will say, uh, well, we're in our rating section here, so I'll tie that into. I feel like they're always at least worth a stream, even though if my experience was like just waiting for uh, the next slasher moment to happen. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Man, I just. Ugh, I don't even know where to begin. I I agree with what you're saying, though. I mean, like, for for the sake of the things that make an Argento giallo film what they are, yeah, it has those things, and that's cool. But I uh, just... This one, for me, honestly, this is the one that kind of jumped the shark, so to speak, of his films. And, like, the really most basic reason is that, like, the twist or, like, the answer to this mystery is is really, to me, it's really dumb and disconnected. Like, it's not an answer. It's It feels like, I don't know. It doesn't, it just doesn't work, I guess. And, like, I'll expand later. But... It bums me out because I, yeah, I appreciate the things that make an Argento Giallo film what they are. And this has those. And that's fun and cool. And Goblin rocks, you know, <laughs> like they, they do they do what they do with the music. And it's, it's so cool for what it is. Having said all that, I'm just a stream. Great. But I feel you too, like even while watching it, and it was just those long slogs between the kills. I'm like, I don't want to be watching this. I would just avoid it, yeah. Ryan. But no, in the like end. If, if the story in those slogs, if the, the clues and sort of what we were getting to reached, like wove themselves into a cathartic, like, oh, amazing twist ending thing, like where it was all kind of, it landed and made sense then yeah i'd be totally in but but with because it doesn't do that to me it just can't elevate into like a worthwhile i'm not going to spend money on this so there you go double stream it great well yeah. wh what is this we're talking about how can we summarize at least what our uh, interpretation of the story was okay so we've got a writer um his name is peter neal he rides his bike to, to Kennedy Airport in New York on the, I think it's, what is it called? The Queens Park, Parkway, Queens, whatever. A I don't major, know. We can't a major say, highway. We can't it's, be this detailed. <laughs> it's the, but I just have to set the scene. It's <gasps> the most absurd thing, for, for like character thing to have happen. He rides his bike on a highway to the airport while his driver he <laughs> drives in front of him and then he hands the bike off, gets his bags and changes into like business attire in the airport bathroom. Like that's who this guy is. <gasps> I mean, we should have known right then and there that he was the killer. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he kind of is and kind of isn't, which is a whole nother issue. But. Okay, so we got this writer. He's going to Rome. He's got a kind of an estranged relationship with his wife. 
He's just released a new book called Tenebrae, The Darkness. And uh, it's, what, the fourth or something like that uh, uh, in the last year or so that he's written that has gotten, you know, he's he's very successful. And so he's going to Rome, I guess, presumably what, to like do a bunch of press. Yeah. And um, very quickly upon him getting there, people start getting killed in the same manner that the killer in his book kills his victims mm. or her victims. In this case, it's a him. So really the rest of the story is just the whodunit of it all, right? Um, and there's a couple little twists and there's, I mean, every scene I feel like is an attempt to be like, could it be this guy? Could it be this girl? Could it be this guy? Could it be this girl? Maybe it's this guy. And then eventually stuff unfolds, a bunch of people die, and we get this sort of twist, sort of twist ending reveal that Peter, uh, although was not the original killer, killed the original killer and then became a killer of his wife and his agent's his agent who was sleeping with his wife or ex-wife doesn't matter. So it becomes like a weird like left turn into revenge plot after being a who who's who's copycatting his book killer. Is that enough? I mean it's confusing as is. That's great, Tim. Well, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I just watched it. This is really just for. We hope you've watched it too. But if not, that's fine. We either way, we just like to plug you into whatever we took about that. And Tim, since that was more detailed than I could remember, then <laughs> well, there you go. That uh, sounds great <laughs> to me. Man, it's not without good moments, but <sighs> well, I as much as I wish we could just accentuate the positive. Uh, we are going to do both, but hey, yeah. that, the, now, but we got to start with that and let's, let's do just that here. If you're ready. Okay. All right, here we go. First section, next section, whatever. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm. Smith. <laughs> what worked? What Started off strong, Tim, I gotta say. Not with yeah. the character thing that you described of how he changed his clothes <laughs> or whatever, but the 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 opening lines from the book itself. Yeah. Kind yeah, of that's cool. You, you know, kind of how I com- how I like I was saying, I as hokey as they were, I enjoyed the opening lines of our last film at midnight, I'll take your soul. Just to kind of like set a tone of just thinking in things broadly mm-hmm. or just bringing up a broad horror like concept. I can't remember exactly what the lines were, but they were getting at something like killing, you know, participating in violence made this this point of view narrator feel alive or or like they were engaged with life in a way they never had before. And they couldn't deny that kind of thing. So that's that uh that gets you that gets you going. That gets you Jones in for a movie. I I you know, but then well, there you go. That worked for me. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't disagree well how about this then tim if you liked this 
I think maybe one of the strongest things about him as a director, kind of like the opening of, uh, was it Deep Red and Opera, a thing with his movies is like you get this background flashback that ends Mm -hmm. up being an origin story for the killer. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like a, a clue to start, you know, drawing some connections with. And just directorially, filmically, how that was done in this one, well, is that they had one at all is cool, but... That I feel like is it's a strong suit. It's incredible. There's a scene that was like, felt like it was going to be um, like an assault scene or a, a rape scene, mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. it just kind of wasn't that. It, it is. It's obscured. a re- it's a reverse rape scene. Yeah, it all like on a she, beach. Yeah. So, just in case you're wondering what we're talking about, there's a flashback to a, a woman, a fairly young woman. I would say maybe you know. 20s ish um i guess she could be late teens but whatever um and she's on the beach and she's kind of enticing a group of younger boys who are i don't know in the 12 13 14 15 range somewhere in their high school middle school high school i would guess and she's sort of enticing them and they're standing around her so that feels sort of ritualistic like they're gonna like she's the older like town girl who who i don't know i guess i don't know is this a thing like it feels very it feels like a trope to me like the the young woman who allows younger boys to explore sexuality for the first time um i can't think of exactly where i've seen that before but i i feel like that's a trope that's been around probably has a name anyway so She's doing that, but one of the boys gets upset, I guess, maybe because this is, you know, he considers it immoral or something. He slaps her, and then all the other boys are are like, bro, you ruined the fun. Uh, They tackle him, hold him down, and the girl, like, kicks him in the ribs, and then she puts the heel of her red high heel into his mouth and sort of makes like so that's why i mean it's sort of this reverse rape thing it's like she's penetrating him orally with the heel of her uh high heel her pump um and that i guess is supposed to be the impetus for his going after women and killing them right and so that how you describe it 100% 100% accurate, exactly what you should take from it. But for me, like watching it, it's so not about that. You know, it's like I'm hardly taking in the clues. It's just, it's just where his style is just excelling and sort of like kind of reminds me of um, yeah. kind of like the uh, hallucinatory parts of audition or something like that, hmm. where. Mm-hmm. Just that imagery of like the red high heel going in the guy's mouth and sort of the the tenseness of when she's yeah. kneeling on the ground and they surround her. It's majority the, in super close up, like almost obscured close up. Like yeah. where you're, you, you kind of are just catching little, like just little glimpses of detail. But you're, it's like somebody's just hand holding the camera, like right up against everything. Just captures that dream memory feel so so well so i yeah i could say i was just as far as what worked for me that was way way up there for this film yeah and we get what two more of those kind of flashbacks to later 
presumably not too much later, where that same woman is at a party and somebody's lurking in the bushes and comes out and then just straight up stabs her. Oh, right. Um, and we do find out at the end that the detective has done his um, due diligence on on looking into Peter Neal's history. And he he sort of reveals that unofficially Neil was a suspect for that murder, but it never was like it never stuck and never went anywhere. Um, so we ultimately find out that it is Peter Neal and not the the other killer, right? The copycat killer. I think it's important. Let's just cl- like make. Uh, I'll try to make this really clear. So whenever we refer to this. There's two killers in this movie. There's a copycat killer whose name is Cristiano Berte. Um, I th- and he's he is a book reviewer. He's a TV guy. And he has become obsessed with Peter Neal's work to the point of taking on the, the role of the character in le- the latest book. And he kills five women i believe with a razor blade right is it five it doesn't matter so he kills the majority of the people who get killed so so there's a serial killer on the loose that's what this movie is a copycat serial killer um but then peter neal elaborately (laughs) kills him and then takes over being a killer and ends up killing what Oh, four more people? (laughs) Well, Tim, now that we have that context, I would love to know, is there any standout thing that did work for you with this film? (laughs) The the exceedingly long sequence of the girl, the concierge of the hotel's daughter, getting dropped off in the middle of nowhere, which I didn't understand, but whatever. She's like on the back of a moped with a guy and and he stops and she gets off and yells at him. And I didn't I was like I don't I don't I might have missed something. Where like why who, who why cares? are we with her? Doesn't matter. Who cares? She just happens to drop her off at the property line of the killer. So take that for what it's worth. She then jumps a fence and Oh, man, I just remembered a thing from the beginning, too. I'll have to circle back around because I did love it. Um, So she jumps a fence, gets on the property, and then a Doberman gets loose that's there, I guess, a guard dog or whatever, and chases her for like 10 minutes around this property. Bites her a bunch of times. Like, it's gnarly. She hits it with a stick. It flies through the air. I mean, it's it just goes on and on. And then this ends. She winds up taking refuge in the, the house on the property, which is just by coincidence, the house of the killer. And she's already interacted with the author and everything at this point. So she's like an established you know, oh, side yeah. character who we spent right. all this time with. So all of a it's just pure, pure coincidence that she ends up running from a dog, (laughs) taking refuge in the basement of a house. The door is open. The house happens to be the house of the killer who has (laughs) conveniently spread out all of the evidence that he's the killer. Uh, She 
she takes a bunch of the evidence because she's like, oh shit, this is this is that author uh who my who's staying in my dad's hotel who's under suspicion for these murders, but it's obviously not him. It's this guy. Let me go solve the case while this dog is after me. And, <laughs> and then she then gets confronted by the actual killer. Well, yeah, yes, the actual killer. Um because she's trying to use his phone and he chases her around, catches her, kills her with an ax. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Cause he loses his razor blade. <laughs> I mean, it is, it just goes on and on and on well, with Tim- that soundtrack going on. And, and uh, like, to me, it is like, you could just watch that scene and be like, all right, cool. We gotta. I gotta draw the similarities between the other most memorable sequence <laughs> from Phenomena. It's I like kept thinking the same thing. It's it's the that <laughs> section. Whether it's it's the highly coincidental situation with Yen- Jennifer Connelly going from this <laughs> yeah. getting dropped off in the car to then having an animal intervene in her case, it was right, a chimp right. that then belongs <laughs> to the professor guy or whatever. So and it came about the same time in the film too. Uh, yeah, which yeah. was interesting. Kind of the like. <laughs> somewhere between the the quarter and halfway mark yep really interesting but tim like I, that was yeah I, I loved that sequence too because it's just when you sit up and you're like wait what we're like with her now first of all because it's and we just kept being with her yeah. that's what that's what there's no cutaways it's not like it's a interstitial. It's just like we're going to spend the next 10 minutes with this girl. And so it's the highly coincidental <laughs> stuff is fun. But then like the dog, like what does the dog have to do with it? It just makes it more intense, but it's great. Just like the chimp. But it, the dog acting too, I thought was so intense it the was, way I know. it jumped. The, it was like this Doberman that's really adept at jumping Bro, fences. That that dog jumping the fence was like the most amazing thing <laughs> well, well, it, it was so cool. Like that second or third time it does it when it's uh when it, it like goes up and sniffs the fence then walks back yes! to get a running start it's so oh my cool god <laughs> blew my mind <laughs> so and then that's a good example of too just uh, you know as a standalone sequence is experiencing it is great and fun and it is kind of the best of the best but one of the reasons i think why and there's other things adding up to this uh and this genre and argento's films is it allows for an air of unpredictability. Like, it's a double-edged coin as far as other things that add up to that with, like, you know, the reveal of the killers in this case. It, it doesn't click at all or doesn't feel earned or anything. But at the same time, you don't know whose it's going to be genuinely. Like, when you're watching these films, yeah, it, it honestly true. feels like anything can happen. And yeah. j- just as a sequence where we go with some s- someone that we thought was just going to be a little weird side character gets their full sequence is pursued by an animal. <laughs> like that adds to that unpredictability or a general um, sense of unpredictability too. That I think is uh, this film and these films is strong suit. Yeah, in a way, like it works and doesn't work for me because it's like it's it's a What's the word? Um, not a conceit. It, uh, oh God! Why? Why can? Why does this happen to me? Why can't I think of words? Why? It starts with a C. It doesn't matter. I'll think of it. 
Um, but it is, I guess it's convoluted is a word to use. That, in that starts like, with C. Some, yeah. That somehow we're, <laughs> I mean, I love it and I hate it. The idea that like, you know, everybody in this movie's story is somehow like overlapping and intertwined with each other, just like, just coincidentally is, I think it's a stupid way to do things, but also it like tickles me. So it, it ends up being a, a, it works for me ultimately because the rest of the movie kind of has that conceit. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's just the world we're in. If it were grounded in a different kind of like more realistic reality, I would be like, okay, this is dumb. Like there's no way she would end up on that property. Like give me a reason. Like give me a just a clue or a, a con- oh, a contrivance is what I was trying to think of. Like give me something that's more than just a contrived reason for her to be there the lack of that is so refreshing though honestly well that's kind of my point that's why i'm saying it now is that they just go who gives a shit (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) like the the, this is this is the world i mean it's even interesting in sort of like the the description of like the filmmaking of this where argento was trying to kind of steer away from using like Rome as a backdrop in the ways that it typically is where you're like, you know, got to go past the, like the, the big monuments, right? Like the big things that everybody recognizes and have that be the setting where in this, he kind of tries to kind of make it this, this strangely insular to the character's world that it happens to be in Rome, but it really doesn't matter. It's more about the visual of of each scene and and the kind of like did you notice that everything is super super like straight line angles in this movie like everything and that's part that's just architecture but the way it's shot and what is being shot is super like hard points and straight lines and like very very crisp lines in the composition of things it's not a round film if you it, like by design if you, if that makes any sense um it's very angular yeah. and that's cool i mean it's just a weird dis- like decision to make as a director and be like yeah let's let's make that our design well it's it's sort of naturally influenced by you know how you're i mean you described it when i was picturing was the architecture of kind of like mm-hmm. that that main big house location and that's something i really appreciate about his films in this one too is just the the aesthetic and then capturing a time like being mm-hmm. a, a little um a, a time capsule for this kind of architecture and design it's all very like art deco decor the how yeah i i, I yeah I, I, don't, probably, I don't know it's really, I, i'm not an architect there's got to be a term for this it's yeah. probably like some postmodern european mid-century something you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean like I'm just naming random things but that's what it feels like but to me it's, it's, it's stuff got I, a, it's got a style to it and I genuinely love it too it's it kind of is an extension of you know that period I love late 60s 70s era of design and art and all that and mm-hmm. uh I don't know it's just just enjoy that for that you know don't really um 
because you know if you if you recreated that nowadays it'd obviously be so deliberate but here it's the real deal it's great yeah i mean if you just go to like stills from this movie everything is squared off yeah it's really it's really interesting because like in watching it i wasn't overtly like it, it i didn't feel like i was like oh hey look at that it kind of it's so envelops the the every aspect of the film that you just are like you're just affected by it subconsciously i think right well and i was kind of thinking yeah this is kind of like what you're saying the subconscious effect of it but kind of what you're saying about how you're able to to plug into it in a certain way because it's avoiding realism mm-hmm. i think it's really neat how it's taking realism or realistic pieces and then appropriating them for this this you know world this world right. building that's going on so you know in this case yeah that distinct architecture is adding up to the greater whole and feel but um but in a way yeah yeah but i'm saying like how it's still connected to a realism here here's mm-hmm. an example of what i'm really talking about like as far as with the characters like There is a realism to the way it feels like he really confidently presents characters in just how they look and carry themselves that even if it's not 100% like realistic, it's really authentically plugging into a sort of like, this is a representation, a general representation for how people think and are in mm. modern day then you know it's they, sure. they all yeah. feel really archetypal in a yeah, way yeah. and and but you know and that it's interesting to use that because we we hear that word archetypal we think like back to to greek stories and myths and whatnot but we kind of forget that we that as time goes on we have like we have new archetypes which being a slasher film a lot of the time slashers one of the things i love about them is they always put forward new archetypes that then get killed off like that's kind of what you know the friday the 13th are all about right. who, who are the new archetypal uh teenagers so so <laughs> yeah. so that's just great and interesting in itself but where where it always most succeeds in his films for me is when the killers have their moment of finally switching into killer mode and us seeing them and breaking <laughs> right because right. it's there's something so satisfying in seeing someone who's so like i represent modern times and i'm confident in all this is normal and i either have a, a clean cut mustache or a clean cut face and da 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 you know yeah. all that attitude but then to see them snap it's just so satisfying like like at the end when it's our main guy the author who like even though he ended up faking slitting his throat like yeah. just the the uh, intensity of what it's like when he's cutting his neck and just the face yeah. he makes is so satisfying he sells it. i'm looking at a picture of it right now <laughs> Great. he really do- he really sold it and then the the other killer like when he's when we see him putting on his voice you know in his killer mode there's just something really really cathartic about like that 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 under all these archetypal norms there's something uh there's something very primal and real that has no mm-hmm. outlet that's just being seen and expunged in full force in these acts of crazed violence and unhinged way yeah and they always get the best actors for them too you know who encapsulate <laughs> yeah. them well speaking of <laughs> the best actors 
This actor, who's like, let me look at his name again, Anthony Francosa, Franciosa, Franciosa, something like that. <laughs> this man, this guy, this guy might be the king of glasses acting. There are three, I believe it's three moments in this movie where he, no, no joke, he's not wearing glasses. The scene begins. They're starting to like get into some sort of conversation that's leading somewhere. He picks glasses up, puts them on his face just so he can rip them off <laughs> and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it is hilarious acting. And I look... I'm not criticizing it. I think it's great for this. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it, it perfectly fits into this movie. But it is some of the funniest stuff. He's he's such a character. You know and Dario I, just loves it. He looks loved it. so yeah. familiar to me, but I looked him up, and I, I don't think I've seen him in anything, so that's odd. He must look like somebody else. Yeah. But, man, this guy cracks me up. I mean, just from, like, just from the very beginning like the the whole bike thing the glasses thing uh his <laughs> when the when the concierge's daughter comes in to to like check on the whatever the water heater has broken and he stands in the door frame of the bathroom and so that she has to slide by him and her boobs like brush against his chest. He like slowly reaches down and touches where her boobs have <laughs> touched him and like gives this like little smirk. It's just like everything about him cracked me up to the point where I like he, th- having him be the killer at the end made sense. For him. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily make sense for the movie, <laughs> but it definitely made sense for him. It He's such a nut, and I, I love him. I like to hear that he seems like the kind of character that in a film that, I'm, I mean, you tell me the difference, but in another film, you would just be like, this guy ruins the film for me. But here, it sounds like you're only bemused by his ridiculousness. Yeah. That's true. Well, it's mm, that's interesting. It's because he's not. I think that the well, what we've been talking about lately is the people that really like I can't get on board with are the ones who are active in their being assholes, where that they're like almost taking pleasure in in being a jerk and messing with people, and they're just nihilistic about it like what does it matter anyway i i don't like that but this guy (laughs) it's just some he's a cartoon almost and like in a movie like this it totally works i don't know would you consider the it to be nihilistic for a killer's motivation like kind of we get set up for this one is it's you could say it's not based on anything which is based on something i guess which is that like i guess that something would be Pure enjoyment is, you know, kind of how it's set up. Is that nihilistic? In this too? movie? Yeah. At least how it's sort of set up with that opening quote, you know? Yeah. I mean, my takeaway with like what they're trying to say, I guess, or like what the they're trying to say is the motivation is more that like, like obsession and 
there are two th- I mean, that's this is ugh, the, without getting into what didn't work because this really is, I think, at the at the heart of what didn't work for the movie. But they're the two killers' motivations are completely different in this movie. One of them is an obsessive fan and who is claiming that the influence of these ideas, the ideas in the books, is spurring on an insane person's, like, predisposition for violence. I guess they are kind of connected. And so that's the... that's the. Um, the copycat killer's motive. Uh, Peter's motive is that he was harboring this trauma, I guess, if you want to call it. But he was kind of hiding this event from his childhood and channeling it into his books. But at a certain point, the betrayal... (laughs) of his agent sleeping with his ex-wife or wife caused him to uh, snap. That's what they say in the film. And I'm like, it's, it doesn't, it's not quite. Wait, did, did you have a what worked for this? What are you getting at? I'm getting at, oh shit, I don't know. What was I getting at? Uh, I mean, I was talking about some, wait, this thing. I kind of had a question for you about um, if you'd include nihilism or would you include these these motives as nihilistic? So in this case, no. That's my answer. By By going through what I think the film is trying to say the motives are, it doesn't seem like they're trying to say that it's nihilistic. It's trying to – it seems like it's – they're saying – it's these two things like that, that these things are spurred on by causality, like specific causality. So it can't be nihilistic in that sense. Yeah. Got it. Well, uh, I just want to, I guess, get back to clear what works then. Uh, yes. <laughs> the, Don't let me go off the rails here. The, um, well, kind of thematically related and maybe, you know, some, some, some pieces of the puzzle of what this is all adding up to, as he put it in the film, the shoving the pages of the book into <laughs> yeah. the woman's mouth who they're killing. There's just something, there's something neat about that. A copycat killer who's taking the literal pages of the author he's copying the, you know, the murders of and like just, yeah, shoving them into his victim's mouth. It's just like a, it's just like a doubling down on, yeah. I, I'm forcing you to think about something. <laughs> you well, know? it's, it's deep, it's deeply, um uh unhinged and like un it's not oh what, what god you know i should read more because my vocabulary is just horrible right now <laughs> um it's sadistic right and it's and it's disconnected to reality like the idea that you're punishing this victim with the pages of the book that she wanted to steal. Right, right. right. I forgot that context too. That's important. Like that that's like somehow you're like teaching her a lesson. It's so, I mean, it's so ridiculously not, like 
That's insane. That's insane to make that connection. But we, man, this is, we see this all the time, like all around us all the time. People are making these connections and being like, see, I told you so kind of stuff. Like this is, you know, they connect weird. I'm, this, I don't have a good example, but they connect weird random stuff. Like even the QAnon stuff is kind of rooted in this, like conspiracy stuff where it's like you're just connecting random dots and then confirmation biasing them into your, a way that makes it work for you. And I feel like that's kind of that first murder where it's like she, her sin is that not only was she a shoplifter, but she was shoplifting this book, and this book is unpu- is yeah impure, and you need to be like served your comeuppance by eating the pages of the book that's un impure, impure, unpure, impure, whichever. And that kind of logic or crazy logic is both upsettingly insane and extremely like pleasing in this movie yeah you know what i mean in this type of movie where you go oh 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 okay i know exactly what i'm dealing with now like this killer is off the rails right like they think that that makes sense and once you establish that man i'm on board i'm like okay i can get behind this killer because they've established a clear sort of line of oh they're that kind of brain Right. And that's, that's, I think, is a strong suit when it happens with his films and in here is when you give some kind of distinct character flourish because, not to jump ahead, because it seems like that kind of happens few and far between. Like, the last thing that I have that really worked for me in this was shout out to John Saxon, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Legend, all that. Uh, His little bit with his new hat. (laughs) No, I know. I loved it. It was so good. And it it just, it was like funny. It like played off of John Saxon's, John Saxon's-ness, like always his tough cop (laughs) guys. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, he looks good in the hat, but to actually like have a character be like, oh, it's a new hat. How do you think it looks? Oh, does it fall off your head? And and, like to see him do the shake his head around thing to try. (laughs) It's like so out of character, but in a way that just makes him feel so like three-dimensional, just so simply in a way. And so that's a good example, whether it's kind of like what you were talking about, an example for, you know, the killers and what it's adding to them, like the, the way they're killing. Just even just that little detail, which... Uh, had a little own payoff, but it's like just this fun little detail and character gag, which does, mm-hmm. and it doesn't add up to anything more than that. But I love like Argento's kind of uh, when he does that kind of thing because he's just so tickled yeah. by what he loves in his films that it really comes through. Well, that, yeah, I, like you were saying, that seems to be kind of a consistent through line in his movie is that he, at the very least, he has an elaborate causal backstory for his killers to go okay this is why they are the way they are and in most of the movies he's kind of letting us in on that you don't have to you know what i mean like you don't have to like tell the audience the the killer's backstory um but he i think that's a that's kind of a hallmark of his and you know to varying success but it is it's an effective tool 
for sure. Like he uses it effectively 90% of the time, I think. And I think that makes us kind of, it's just part of the weaving, uh, the fabric of this tapestry that he weaves with these movies. And I, you know, I appreciate it. I think it's cool. I would have, in this one, I would have liked more, well, whatever. That's kind of, I'll get into that. There's, there's a reason why you get what you get in this movie that I think it could, it, a different version would have given us more of the serial killer, copycat killer's backstory. Yeah. Well, are you ready to get into that? I mean, John Saxon's hat bit was my last thing. No, I am not because I just have to just I want to run through the kills. But also, I think my favorite moment in the whole movie is <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of just preposterous stuff <laughs> that I really, really loved. They're just moments that I think are just like, I don't know. There's something about the, the style of capturing these kind of crazy moments and like letting actors or extras or whoever it may be do their thing Mm -hmm. so let me see if i can remember most of them the first one is is obviously him riding the bike to the airport that that is just like whoever thought of that i i wish i could buy you a drink you know (laughs) just be like yeah that that sold the whole thing for me (laughs) thank you very much um the (laughs) when the shoplifting woman is walking back to her place and she has to go around this like, I don't know, out this construction zone. There's a bunch of wood fencing that's been put up and a homeless guy like, it's a zombie scene out of nowhere. This homeless guy like reaches through the wood and tries to attack her and then she like kicks him and throws him into the trash cans and he gets mad. He's like, how dare you lady that I'm trying to attack push me into the trash cans. Now I'm really mad. <laughs> like that whole sequence, like she has to get her key in the door at the right time. She smashes his fingers in the door. Like this has nothing to do with the movie and it never comes back around <gasps> even though they set it up to come back around by having him, the the homeless guy, watch her get murdered he witnesses the murder he's the witness to who is the killer he never comes back around like we should have had him show up at the end of the movie right before we find out that it's that it's oh well i guess it doesn't this is why it doesn't work but anyway that's beside the point that scene i love that scene i also i also love just the weirdness like weird left turn we take with the sex worker and the reporter and their whole dynamic that relationship and the that like the sequence of them being in the flat together arguing the one girl like is just i mean it's so just gratuitous like how many times can we get her boobs in frame but then we do this long take of floating out of the flat and all over the place that really honestly it means nothing like it doesn't like get, it doesn't lead us to some bigger understanding of what's going on it's just a random set piece of the camera floating around and i'm like i kind of love it because it makes no sense and it's just like again kind of showing this like angular architecture that's outside and then going back inside to see them get killed. Like it's just it's so random. Um I love the just the kills in general. They're they're ridiculous. The like 
girl putting her shirt on and turning get, gets stuck on her head and she turns around and like a hole gets slashed into it so she can see out the hole of the shirt that's been slashed <laughs> right. open like like these little details are, crack me up and so like i think kind of what you were saying it's like those moments are the movie yeah right like yeah the 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 inter the whatever in between long drawn out sort of just like talking scenes are pretty blah um but like what's another one they're just these it is sort of the idiosyncrasies of the filmmaking um some of it i think is the characters like the actors coming up with things which i love that like that's i love when actors are like oh i have this idea can i do this thing absolutely you can do that thing like the the detective who comes in and is very odd you know he's got a whole thing he's got his whole thing going on but then she goes oh i you know i'd offer you a drink but i'm sure you don't drink on duty and he's like i only drink on duty and then he gets <laughs> right yeah he gets given a scotch and he's like monologuing finishes the monologue takes a sip and he's like beautiful scotch <laughs> like like these little things are just they crack me up yeah uh the soundtrack i like i said amazing amazing um there's a moment later in the movie where <laughs> where john saxon saxon is waiting for the woman he's having an affair with he's waiting for her to show up and there's this little kid playing with a ball and the ball gets tossed over to him and he catches it he gives it back to the kid but right before he hands it to the kid the kid trips and man, I tell you, he saved himself because he was – if he had not caught himself from falling, his face would have gone <laughs> into that cement bench. Like the second I saw his foot, like his toe catches on the cobblestones or whatever it is, and I'm like, oh, no. Like he's going to like nail himself. I thought that's what the scene was going to be about. But he just catches himself and like doesn't fall over and grabs the ball and carries on. It's just like they just kept that take. Well, I guess it's like a save the cat moment too. You're right. I did love that. Like it ends with the kid says, you know, um, what, what, uh, goodbye to John Saxon. It's just like, it's <laughs> yeah. like his little, just cute little exchange with the kid. It's, it's so funny. It's just weird idiosyncrasies. I love that whole moment of him sitting there waiting for her to show up. And there's a bunch of like stuff going on around him, right? There's like a guy who's like kind of like verbally abusing his girlfriend, presumably, I don't know, breaking up with her or something. And then there's like a dude getting kicked out of the bar, like behind him. And they're having like a real rough and tumble scuffle. Like, it's just a, it's just like, just grabbing stuff. It's, it's so good and bad at the same time yep. that I kind of can't help but love it. So I don't know. I didn't love the movie, but like these little, these, the flavor that Argento, like sprinkles onto everything i can't help but appreciate yeah it's great i'm sure there's other ones but like by and large i mean the axe going into the head mwah, yeah beautiful and just the, beautiful the the art deco decor uh like spiked uh you know art piece <laughs> yeah, that's, is that's what ended up killing thing, him in, yeah. in the end oh god yeah so these little things yeah i mean i I like all of them. The amount of screaming that his assistant does when he kind of, I guess he kind of kills himself in a way. I guess she kills him technically, but whatever. But like her screaming, man, it's just it's so good. It's so bad. It's good. I love it. Great. Well, should we talk about what's so bad? It's bad for you. 
Yeah. All right. <laughs> Here we go in our next section. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> Okay, so let's just let's just get the big one out of the way. We're conflating two murderers, and you can do that. Like, I'm not against doing that as a just a general thing, but this movie, <laughs> it it just I just don't think it works. I think you're I think it's attempting to misdirect to for effect but it it ends up just to me being a muddy mess right like the motive of the of the first killer seems okay and we're getting these flashbacks as a misdirect that that's what the 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 copycat killer that that it, that's it's his flashback, but and that's I guess okay. It almost works in that up to that point he's only killed women, and so we kind of go okay. His whole thing is that he's like sadistic towards women, and that the book has like drawn that out of him. It's like you know it's compelled him or whatever. I can I can get behind that. I can't get behind the turn that Peter what's his name? Peter Neal? Yeah. I I just can't get behind the turn that in no in fact Peter Neal has decided to take over as a killer. It just it, like the moment that that's supposed to have happened is when Peter Neal and and the younger dude that I think is his assistant's like nephew or something like that, they've they've started to put the pieces of the puzzle together and they've tracked the killer back to his home. And they're staking it out and they're hiding in the bushes and all that shit. And then the younger dude goes up to the window. <laughs> which seems careless, but he goes up to the window and he sees the killer. But then the killer gets killed with the ax in the head. And the younger dude supposedly doesn't see who kills the, the killer with the ax. And when he goes back to, uh, to Peter Neal, Peter Neal has been hit on the back of the head with a with a rock. And we're just supposed to get on board with well, two things. One, from that kid's point of view, he's just buys that somebody came up behind Peter Neal and hit him in the back of the head. Sure, I guess that's almost feasible um because then that would mean that whoever did that went along and killed the killer. But why would he not kill Peter Neal. You know what I mean? Like, we never explore the any sort of possible reason for that. 
We just go along with it. But none of that's true anyway. The truth is that Peter Neal hit himself over the back of the head with a rock. And then, well, before he did that, he ran into the house, picked up an axe, kills the killer without the kid seeing him, throws something out the window to get the kid to run away, but has time to run back to his previous spot and hit himself over the back of the head hard enough to like like crack his skull open or at least like, uh, you know, cause it to bleed. Like it's too elaborate. It's just it's it's mumbo jumbo, man. It's just too much. And then we're supposed to believe that from that point on, his motive for killing anybody is because his wife has been having an affair. Those things, none of these things are connected. We just moved on from the, <laughs> the first killer. It's just like, what? 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 Yeah. It, fall, it completely falls apart. And like, I guess, oh, oh, because some girl, you know, made him feel shame, ashamed or something when he was a teenager. Not, what? Yeah, it's how how you're putting it here. You know, if it's convoluted in that way, it, and but you're you know and you're relating it to character. I think that's a way to sum up what doesn't work for me in his films is character. Are the characters? But like how you're putting it as I think you know a character consistency that's not there is hurting it. <sighs> and for it's a it's a plot and con- character consistency. Okay, that's the problem. For yeah. I think for me, what stands out is kind of like how I said what worked so, uh, an example of what worked so well is John Saxon's hat bit, where it just <laughs> feels like that's what, okay, like even, you know, Friday the 13th movies, like I don't sit and watch them and think, oh, this, there's, you know, these are, these are realistic characters, da da da, and blah, blah, blah. But it's consistent and there is character stuff to go off of that, like, just mm-hmm. plugs me into, how that world works and how characters work in that world. But at least gives me, like it plugs me into a certain mode where I can, I don't know, get on board with that level of of characterization, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's there at all is the thing, so it works. It feels like here, there's just, there's nothing to latch on to. It is That's just right. so just people talking in rooms. Like even what you, you described, his great character setup, it, it, it all adds up to for me like, he's the protagonist kind of sort of like there's no you're never really getting involved with the characters from scene to scene it Mm -hmm. it has this feel of like you're watching a movie that never starts yes yes okay yes here's here's what i think you could have done it's it's so close to working And I think that the way you make this – if you're going to make a story that is based on this sort of misdirection of like, oh, it's one killer, just kidding, it's another killer. The reason it doesn't work in this is because the motives of the second killer change throughout the film. So how do you solve that? Like how do you make a better movie but sort of keep the basic plot of what this movie is? You make – the end motive of the end killer, his beginning motive. You make him the killer the whole time. So all of this misdirect stuff is just that. It's misdirect. Make it all elaborate. Because if your premise is Peter Neal 
was secretly unhinged, and he was initially channel, uh, channeling that unhingedness from his past trauma into his books. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that so far. No problem. He he has had this in him the whole time, so have it be the whole movie, right? He's a writer of elaborate murder mysteries. Have him playing out the elaborateness of his psychosis in real time because he no longer is doing it in the books. So what would that look like, right? Almost nothing in this movie would change except the reveal that he's the killer and that he set up the first guy to look like a serial copycat killer and that that guy was totally innocent of all of this the whole time. And the reason he chose that guy is because that guy is a TV like reviewer, a book reviewer guy, and he's a good target. And he was, you know, all you have to do is have him be a consistent critic of Peter, Peter Neal. Or to have been a consistent advocate for Peter Neal's work, but he criticized this new work, right? Once – if we had that through line, the reveal that Peter was actually the killer the whole time and was a maniac the whole time and was setting all of this up to cover himself, you know, and to – pin it on somebody else but it got messy and he it caught up with him that's a that's a clean clean plot we would get it we wouldn't feel weirded out at the end of like wait his motive at this point is just that his wife was cheating on him who gives a shit right like if he had been the killer of all the other women previously when it comes to him being like, what really set me off was finding out my wife was cheating on me before I came to Rome. It's been eating away at me, and I can't keep it under wraps anymore. Like that movie, that's a good movie. I would be in on board with that character too. Not that I would like him, but I would be like, oh, okay, I get you. But by having it be this sort of split killer thing – and killing off the first killer and then just moving on, it just falls super flat. I'm like, okay, well, I guess that part of the movie's over. What, what movie are we in now? So that's that would be my solve. And to me, that's the biggest glaring issue with the whole movie is that it just – it's murky and it's kind of doubling up on things but not tying them together. It's just like, okay. Great. Agreed and well said. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean that. I mean, yeah. You, you said it all there. It's just an overall thing, and I think that all explains it really well. Everything would make more sense. Everything in the current version of the movie would make more sense if he was pulling the strings from the get go. And it's there's probably enough other things about the filmmaking and screenwriting that allows for an unpredictableness that you know is still work that you know that what you're describing sure it helps that but it's hurting it way more than it's helping that totally totally <laughs> great but yeah once like from a writing point of view the things that hurt the script are 
are, are, are related and sort of like an effect of having this murky plot. If you tie, if you sort of, you know, shore up the plot, then you have something to hang your hat on as a writer to keep kind of like dancing around. If you know that he's the killer the whole time, the, the, the scenes that seem boring and disconnected and dumb can be imbued with little details that, that either misdirect or direct us toward the answer. And it's like the type of thing where you go, oh, cool. Like if you, if you – once you know the end, once you know the surprise and you go back and watch the movie, Get Out does this incredibly well. But once you know the end and you go back and watch the movie, you realize that in every single line of every scene is a little bit of a, a tip your hat to the truth. And if you you cannot do that as a writer unless you have the the consistency of plot through line, in particular in a context of a story that has this big sort of aha moment reveal. Yeah, you definitely get the sense it feels like scenes are written as individual scenes versus part of a, a larger whole. Yes, exactly. Great. So, you know, all the other stuff that I guess I would put into like what didn't work, it, it's not it's it's neither here nor there in a way. Yeah. It's, it kind of everything trickles down from this bigger broader issue and I think would be solved by solving that and and pretty much everything else just falls into like taste of style or like you know it's disjointed because the plot is disjointed so like i already said that yeah yeah i guess in that spirit i mean i'm pretty pretty good to move on there's just real quick like there is that amazing crane shot technically executed you know that's amazing but when watching it i was just like so what though it didn't it wasn't exactly. offering anything at all and that just i don't know that that was kind of tragic i feel like anyway great well are you going to move on to things of note then yeah all right here we go yeah, let's do it things of note things of note <laughs> this should be interesting Tim, now that we've watched a handful of these yellow films, I mean, we already had, but it's this was funny watching it and just feeling almost right back at home with these. Like there's certain there's certain <laughs> tenets in his filmmaking now that I'm starting to pick on. So oh, yeah. I came up with a short list of what those are that I thought would be interesting to get your confirmation of and to see <laughs> okay. if you had anything to add or or challenge here. So staples, that's what I word. Argento slash giallo staples. We have dreamlike flashbacks as killers, background origin stories, women getting murdered, of course, straight-laced men turning out to be crazed killers, art deco <laughs> decor often used as key props, uh, point of view with exaggerated heavy breathing, mm. uh, books integrated into the story or mystery. Oh, yeah. And yep. phone calls. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my God, you just made me think of uh, that. The what? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. Watching an actor 
play out the like, I'm on the phone. Wait, the phone line isn't working. No work phone line and like tapping the receiver and like putting it down, picking it up. Like that whole rigmarole of like acting that the phone is dead. It, to me, that is like an Argento staple. Like <laughs> it's so classic and and it always goes on too long. Like in real life, back for us old people who had landline phones when you pick the thing up and it's dead it's just dead like no no amount of tapping the the button or receiver or like looking at the phone to be like what's wrong with you phone right none of that does anything it's all just fluff to like pad out the moment as an actor and it cracks me up every time we see it because i'm just like it's so stupid and over the top. Well, how did you feel about my short list? Anything that sounds right? Anything to add? It's just so spot on. God, what would I add? Not that you have to, but... I mean, I feel like he has a proclivity toward trying to, you know, cast a... a he he has type like w- women types for sure. It's 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 I I was actually I noticed it, but I couldn't think of a way to put it that didn't sound offensive. But you have like two kinds of looking women in them. Yeah. Yep. And you always do. You're right. I will say one is more typically attractive, you know, societally so, and one is more specific looking. Yeah, I'm not, I agree with you. I'm not really sure how you even describe well, these two types. I will say but- there's something about how they look and, you know, I guess I'll take the this is all feel defense um, mm-hmm. if it's tricky territory. But like the the more like societally typically attractive younger women tend to be the victims. Yes. And the ones who are maybe a little older and less typically attractive, they feel like they're more there to be the red herring, the eventual mm-hmm. killer, or the confidant. And some some combination of all of those. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he really does sort of like, he, how do you put this? I mean, he casts in a box. (laughs) Yeah. But his men too. And I love. Totally. Say more across the board. Say more comfortably, you know, how he casts his men in a certain way, which we already talked about and what worked. Yeah. You know, I guess I should have said this in, in this movie, what didn't work. Um, also is not having what works in the other Argento movies is having a a woman sort of protagonist ish person somebody who's consistently we can kind of get on board with that we you know in the sense of like if you're gonna do a slasher movie the trope being the sort of final girl trope we don't have that in any form in this movie, really. I mean, I guess his assistant, but not really. Um, and so I think that that also, it just makes things a little more murky. Is that we, if you're gonna be so strict about your tropes, like, then be consistent. Like, like keep those things in there. Because I could not have cared less about the actual victims of this film, and to me that that's a big problem, right? Like if if like you got to care about them, 
I cared the most about the concierge's daughter. I, yeah, she won me over. She's like a nothing character. When, when she yells at the guy, like even though I didn't understand the context, it was just, I felt like we got a full spectrum from her in a way that made yeah. me on board with her, but. Yeah, so, okay, um, I agree with you. I don't think there's anything else. I thought it was. Other, you know, yeah. I, actually there is one. Like it, it's in the, it's in the composition of of his framing that's i feel like you could almost in a in a in a in a lineup i feel like i could pick out a still from an argento film he's got that he's very linear Mm -hmm. like you know in his filmmaking linear is that the right word whatever (laughs) straight lines (laughs) geometric i don't know something like that got it i got the idea yeah um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. It was, you, we kind of touched on this, but you know, it's set in Rome, but there's no like historical landmarks present. That's right. I, That's purposeful. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was interesting and cool. I like that too. And then, um, just some, some now direct pulls from Wikipedia here. I thought were fun. Mm. Some background stuff. Argento was inspired by a series of incidents, which saw an obsessed fan telephone the director to criticize him for the damaging psychological effects of his previous work. So it's fun when a a filmmaker is in conversation with themselves in a way. I think that's interesting. And then... A little bit from, uh, you know, shout out again to John Saxon. I just learned something about him on his Wikipedia. That was fun. You know, since we think of him so as like an older actor, you know, as we're we're familiar with him, an older cop guy. But uh, his background, his history, here we go. Saxon had the lead in a low-budget teen film, Rock Pretty Baby, 1956, which became an unexpected success and established Saxon as a teen idol. And he was, uh, wow. that he was in the sequel, Summer Love, in 58, uh, when he reprised his role. It says, by now, he was getting about 3,000 fan letters a week. So that old John Saxon as, like, the stuffy cop dad was a, a teen idol in the 50s. I really like that detail. <laughs> well, it makes sense, right? Because I don't think John Saxon becomes John Saxon without that. Right. He's a, he's a strong-jawed. You can see he's very, like, I could imagine him having that, like, attractive 50s aesthetic, like, whatever that is when yeah. he's younger. Great. Well, uh, that's it I have for this film. If you're if you're good to move on and see if you have any recommendations. Just the one other thing yeah. that surprised me is that this was put on the, uh, what is it called, the Cinema Nasties? No, Video Nasties ban, the UK ban on films in the 80s. Or no, yeah, in the 80s uh, until 1999. Like this? Did this seem that bad? (laughs) I mean, I could imagine. Just when you, again, are just reminded of how horrible what's actually happening is if you're looking at it as reality. It's really brutal. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Four four out of five skulls on Shudder where we watched it. Description ends with Dario Argento poured his fears into this visually stunning return to form, loading Tenebre with some of the most gorgeous and horrific murders in all the director's oeuvre. So just to offset our uh, yeah. less pleased uh, review, some some positive there. You know, I think it's in our hat, but I'm not... In- Inferno I'm not is the next in- one that we have in, in the is hat. Is it in the hat? Yeah. For- okay, I think that's it for, for those. 
the, on our list, at least. For the current hat list, I'm sure we have. Correct. I feel like we have other jellos. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, so let's see. Recommendation. What could I recommend dead this week? Did I watch anything cool? Um, well, I got one ready. Oh, okay. I watched out of not watching a lot of things. Now I'm going to get back to watching things more. I'll be able to. I watched, it's just a random one from my letterbox watch list. I watched from 2001, Josie and the Pussycats. It was (laughs) everything I hoped it would be. It was super, oh, here it is on letterbox, watched by Tim Aslan. Yeah, I've seen that movie. It is what it is. (laughs) Well, I loved what it is. So I'm going to recommend Dead It. It was brutal. Why? Why? I, it's I tried funny. to. I tried to. Re, I tried to rewatch it this year, and I. I just. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. They're all so great. It. Everyone's so funny in it. I mean, Parker Posey is just always just gold. <laughs> yeah. Even like Tara Reid, who gets a bad rap, like she's so funny in it. How she's cast. Yeah. No, I. I guess I can. I can agree with that. Um. Let's see. I'm going to go. I'm going to go into my letterbox and I'm going to go into doop, 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 horror. Done. Okay. Let's see. Oh, wait. Did I recommend? I did not recommend Dead This, did I? Uh, it's called Sputnik. Did I? No. No. Okay. I forgot I watched this. Yes. So I just watched this, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's called Sputnik. It is a Russian film, so like, you know, strap in for subtitles. But it's 2020, and it is, um, what can I tell you without mm, giving something away? It is about two astronauts who come back from orbit in the, it's set in the 80s, I'm pretty sure. It must be, yeah. And uh, they bring something back with them. But it's really well acted. It's it's super cool looking. Like the design in it is so good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say anything else. Watch, watch Sputnik. Great. I got to follow up with my recommendation last week, Game of Death. Uh, according to our shared stutter, did, shutter, did you watch it halfway and then stop? Yep. Well, I hated it. Sorry to hear it. Hated it. That could have made for a good episode. We rarely have one that I absolutely <laughs> loved and you absolutely hated. Ugh. Yeah. I couldn't. I just was like, I can't do it. You didn't think the style was awesome and it wasn't too like heavy on anything. Like the dialogue was cool and realistic. The game, the style, like the way it had like uh, the real life, like it integrated that video game aesthetic into it. That you oh yeah, you didn't even see the ending. Fine. I could not get in with the I guess lead character, like the premise of the lead character being this like he's just a it's a it's the same problem I've been having. If your care if your lead character is just a psychopath who's just like, we just gotta kill 21 more people, what's the big deal? I'm out. But like, you I'm sorry. usually you say what doesn't work for that. He's not like the main character at all. It's all it's an ensemble piece where you do have the grounding of people who totally disagree with him. And I always yeah. thought you loved that stuff of like when it's in conflict with that idea. You know, it's not in conflict enough. It to- I don't know, but it is for Tim. me. 
It, no, I just, I, I just wanted to turn it off. And you did. Like, he, him, his character, him existing the way he is was enough for me to be like, I don't want to watch this. <laughs> How about the exploding heads? The effect looks so good. The way like the it was practical. I agree, oh, I agree with that. Yeah. God, I thought that movie was excellent. That's so funny. Well, you're a psycho. Yeah, well, you are too for not liking it. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I don't know. <laughs> great. <laughs> we'll just we'll just sit there at our party where you're miserable and I'm having a ball watching Josie and the Putty Pussycats. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What a party that would be. <laughs> I imagine this part at this party it's just the two of us. Exactly. Great. <laughs> sitting we're sitting on opposite ends of the room quietly. I'm like brooding and you're watching Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> having a ball. And we don't and, and we don't get to talk to each other. Great. Well, <laughs> let's figure out what we get to talk to each other about next week. Oh. Okay. Is it my turn? Yes. What if I pulled Inferno? How wild would that be? Actually, Tim, I should, I wanted to say, if you pull a film from before 2000, then we will officially have reached our streak of the most consecutive pre-2000 films we've ever had. Hmm, well, we just had, had, this Tenebre was our sixth in the row, which is the same as our previous record. Well, leave it to me to ruin things. <laughs> Here we go. Oh! 1983. Cool. Okay, it's called Angst. Great. No clue what this is. Ditto. 1983. Well, we'll know this time next week, Tim. That's right. (laughs) And until then, you can find us wherever you found us. Shout out thanks to our mixer master, Brendan Welch. Thanks, Brendan. That's right. This you know, did, did you know that Brendan Welch is of the Welch's family? Yeah, that's his name. Mm-hmm. What? He's bit. He's he's you know a descendant of the uh, the grape the grapes the Welch's uh, jam. Oh, and, uh, what? All those. Well, things. Oh, like Welch's grape juice. Yeah, I'll I'll be sure to check with him on that next time. No, no, you don't 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 you don't have to check with him. Got it. Is <laughs> that? I'm just making it up. Great. Well, um. In closing, you're thinking about, you know, maybe buying a new hat. Go ahead and do it. And thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>